0: In today's video, we have an evidence based guide to a ridiculous low back pain and our friend, the disc herniation. Let's do it. Before we really get going, I have an absolutely free cheat sheet for you. So it is an evidence-based guide to ridiculous low back pain. It's a PDF. It's got a couple pages in it and it goes over all of the key points of this lesson today. So go ahead and download it. I'll put a link in the show notes in the description and follow along. This is also very useful. If three months from now you have a patient that walks to the door with a ridiculous low back pain, and you're like, ah, man, what the heck did Dan say about X, Y, and Z? Just pull out the cheat sheet. You'll get it, review it, and then you're going to ace your uh, examination with your patient. This is part three on our series of radicular low back pain diagnosis. If you missed one or two, I'll leave a link in the show notes in the description. Check that out and listen to those before you continue. Let's go over some diagnosis of lumbar radiculopathy and associated disc pathology. When you do your history and you go through the clinical presentation, there's definitely a few things to be on the lookout for. So patients may tell you this, or it's probably good to ask these questions. So between 63 and 72% of folks are going to have paresthesia or abnormal sensation somewhere down the leg, 40% present with absent ankle reflexes, which is a sign of an L5 S1 disc injury, 37% have muscle weakness, 35% have radiation of pain into the lower limb, 27% endorse numbness, and about 18% present with absent knee reflexes, right? So just be on the lookout for these things in your patients. So from a subjective perspective, these folks can have pain with coughing and sneezing just because that increases intradiscal pressure. If you cough, Oh, oh, that hurts my back, uh, sneezing and heavy coughing bouts. So if someone gets sick, sometimes they end up with a disc herniation from too much coughing. I know it sounds crazy, but it does happen from time to time. These folks will often have pain in sitting, right? Not always very different from person to person, but. Uh, depending on the study you look at, right, you can have around of 40% increase in pressure in the spine when you sit versus stand. So if I sit, if I increase the pressure in the disc that may increase my symptoms a little bit, so these folks sometimes say, I'm not very good at sitting. Sitting kind of hurts me, right? The other piece is that these folks can have night pain. And this is important to know just because when folks have pain at night, oftentimes you start thinking, oh, this person has cancer. Uh, that's not always the case. It's actually pretty common with ridiculous low back pain. At nighttime, there's naturally a drop in blood pressure. Obviously, you're not moving, you're not exerting, blood pressure goes down, and you have a temporary ischemia from sleeping positions, and that can increase your symptoms. So if you lay in a funky position and put some compression on a nerve, the nerve is already unhappy because it's not getting the best oxygen, right? It's already getting compression. You compress it some more, might get even more mad and say, hey, I want you to get up and move a little bit, I'm going to give you some pain, right? So common for these folks to have pain at nighttime. Steins et al. in 2018 identified several factors that correlate highly to nerve root involvement. They were pain below the knee, leg pain worse than back pain, positive neurodynamic tests like a slump or a straight leg raise, a neurological deficit, which means weakness in a myotome, absent or diminished reflexes, as well as diminished sensation from left to right. The last piece that highly correlated with nerve root involvement was a report of pins and needles. So that brings us to the objective portion of the diagnosis. What should your objective portion look like? Well, largely, we should probably do some sort of manual muscle testing to take a look at strength. We should do some sort of sensory testing, right, to look at dermatomes. We need to do some deep tendon reflexes to see if there's any sort of absent or diminished reflex. And lastly, we should be doing some sort of neurodynamic test, like a slump or a straight leg raise. I actually have a really in-depth video about the diagnosis of lumbar radicular symptoms as well as radiculopathy. I'm going to leave a link in the show notes so you guys can check that out. I'm going to go over these specific tests a little bit and talk about the sensitivities and specificities. But if you want to see exactly how I perform these tests, then I just recommend clicking on that link, all right, in the description in the show notes. So first, let's talk about strength testing or manual muscle testing. So Tawa et al. in 2017 found that the sensitivity of manual muscle testing was between 0.13 and 0.61. And the specificity was between 0.52 to 0.96. I think the the takeaway there is that the the sensitivity is largely terrible. It's worse than a coin flip. And the specificity is a bit better, but it's not perfect, okay? So all these tests in combination maybe gives you a better idea of what's going on in your patient. But the subsequent tests we're going to go over, it's kind of the same as this. They're not perfect, right? So we combine them all. Maybe we get an MRI if we need it, right? Not at first. We'll talk about when to do that. That gives us a better picture of what's actually going on, okay? In terms of testing the myotomes, so you guys probably know this, but your spinal cord goes down and then it branches out at different intervals, right? And at these different intervals, those nerves come out and they innervate muscles, right? So when we test specific muscles, we know which muscles are innervated by each level of the spine. So we kind of guess about which level is injured just because we know there's weakness in a specific region, right? In testing the L2 myotome, you just have to perform resisted hip flexion. The L3 myotome is tested by resisted knee extension. L4 myotome is tested by heel walking, so resisted dorsiflexion. L5 is tested by resisted great toe extension. S1 is tested by resisted plantar flexion. You can just do toe walking to assess this. And lastly, if you're assessing S2, that's going to be resisted knee flexion, so testing the hamstring strength left to right. A lesser known, but equally important S3 myotome is going to be assessed via hitting the like button and subscribing to the channel. If you want to do a very thorough examination for your patients, you got to hit that like button and subscribe. So sensory testing is another important part of diagnosing lumbar radiculopathy. So you've probably seen these before. This is a dermatomal map, right? And here's the thing about dermatomal maps. Um, it seems like they're all over the place. One dermatomal map may look completely different than another, right? And this is from study to study. And then I kind of spoke to a bunch of students and asked them about dermatomes and each one kind of said something a little bit different. So, um, it seems like there's not a clear consensus, uh, for testing all of these dermatomes, right? Uh, if you don't believe my dermatome, that's fine. You can go and find some other ones online. Uh, these are coming directly from, But again, the accuracy of these tests is not perfect. So Tawa et al. in 2017 found that dermatomes had a sensitivity of 0.47 to 0.73, and they had a specificity of 0.63, right? So the sensitivity is a little bit better than myotomes, and the specificity is probably worse. So again, not a perfect test. And we can assess this via pin prick testing. So you can use a pin or let's say the end of a paperclip and kind of poke one person's leg on the left, then the right, and see if there's a difference side to side. You can also brush the leg with the back of the hand. We can look at light touch, maybe assess via cotton ball, something along those lines. And the idea is you're just assessing from side to side. So if we want to assess the L2 dermatome, we will be trying to touch somewhere on the upper thigh, L3, somewhere around the knee basically want to see if there's a different side to side. Uh, this is typically graded on a zero to two scale. A zero will be considered absent. One is diminished and two is normal. So you have anyone that has either a zero or a one, that will be a positive special test for sensory testing of dermatomes. Again, like I said, there's a lot of a variety between studies. So I don't know what the perfect answer is here, but here's what I've read. To assess the L2 dermatome, you're going to touch the anterior thigh. To assess L3, you touch the knee. To assess L4, you touch the medial calf right by the head of the medial gastroc. To assess L5, you touch the lateral calf halfway down the shin. To assess S1, you touch the medial malleolus or the bottom of the foot. If you want to assess S2, that's going to be actually assessing someone in prone or sitting around the L3 to L4 vertebral level in the spine. Diagnosis of lumbar radiculopathy and radicular low back pain should also have some reflex testing, right? So basically, you're taking your reflex hammer and you're dinging into the patellar tendon or the Achilles tendon and you're assessing the reflex left to right. Tawa et al. in 2017 found that reflex testing had a specificity of 0.6 to 0.93 and a sensitivity of 0.14 to 0.67. So decent specificity terrible sensitivity. So again, all these tests probably need to be used in combination. And oftentimes we're going to get false negatives, false positives, all sorts of kind of bad information from these tests, But it's kind of the only thing we have. So it's, it's still important that we use them. If you have a diminished patellar reflex, that's going to indicate an injury at the L2, L3 and L3, L4 area. If you have a diminished Achilles reflex, that indicates an injury at the L5, S1 level. If you guys like what you're learning about so far, then the next logical step is to sign up for the fitness pain-free mini course. I've made an absolutely free mini course and we go over four vital lessons for coaches and clinicians. The first lesson goes over how traditional schooling has failed us. Now, I'm actually a really big fan of education and I think that physical therapy school actually prepared me pretty well to work with the average person. However, I really didn't learn how to work with the population that I want which is people in the strength and fitness world. So I'm talking about powerlifting, bodybuilding, Olympic weightlifting, sport of fitness, and really people that just love working hard in the gym. And really my goal with the mini course is to help you understand how you work with this population to get them out of pain and keep them training. The next lesson is seven reasons why people get hurt in the gym. So it's vitally important they understand the injury mechanisms or why people get hurt in the gym. If we don't understand why folks are getting hurt in the gym, it's going to be very hard to rehabilitate those folks because let's say we do get them better. They go right back in the gym and get hurt in the same exact way they hurt before. The other piece is if we want to keep these folks safe for the long haul, we have to understand the main reason why these folks get hurt in the first place so we can keep them in the gym training as safe as possible and minimize that risk of future injury. Next, we go over four simple steps for getting your clients out of pain. Now, Rehab can be very complicated. There's a lot of systems out there that make it very challenging to figure out how to work with your patients. However, it really doesn't have to be that complicated. So I go over four easy steps you can follow to get your patients out of pain and back in the gym where they belong. Lesson number four is how to build the career of your dreams and earn the respect of your community. Let's face it. The reason why you take these educational courses is obviously so you can learn a little bit more, but really the deep seed of reason is because you want to have the respect of your community. You want your clients to come in, work with you and say, wow, Joe was great. He did a phenomenal job with me tell their friends and their friends come to see you. And after a while, you're very valued and respected within your community. So I'm going to teach you how to do that. Second piece is that if you know these skills, it doesn't always mean you have a ton of patience going through the door so you can work with the populace you want to work with, right? So you may be the absolute best coach in the world, but no one wants to come and see you because they don't know who you are and they don't know how good you actually are. So we'll teach you how to get the patients through the door that you want to work with. And lastly, we'll talk a little bit about the Fitness Pain-Free Certification. This is the largest and most comprehensive educational course that I offer, but more on this later. So I'll leave a link in the description in the show notes. Again, it's 100% free, really easy to download. Go ahead and do that right now. And now back to your learning. Diagnosis of lumbar radiculopathy should also be looking at neurodynamic tests. So in terms of sensitivities and specificities, the straight leg raise had a specificity of 0.89 and a sensitivity of 0.52. So decent specificity, coin flip on the sensitivity. The slump test had a specificity of 0.7 and a sensitivity of 0.91, right? So quite a bit better on both. Pretty decent specificity and sensitivity. If you're going to pick one of these tests, then maybe you'll just pick the slump, but one has a higher... Uh, sensitivity, and one has a higher specificity. So both of them are probably good to be used together. Lastly, I think you should take this information with a grain of salt. Basically, for a lot of these studies, the gold standard of whether or not some sort of disc pathology existed was via MRI, right? We know there are a lot of asymptomatic individuals with disc pathology, right? So if we're going to be using MRI as the gold standard to assess if these special tests are any good, And the MRI we know isn't always accurate, right? So take these numbers with a grain of salt, because oftentimes the gold standard is actually not accurate, right? And then... Doesn't matter what the sensitivities and specificities specificities even are. Another thing that's confusing is that in some of the studies, they were looking for a disc bulge or disc herniation or disc extrusion, right? So you know that some of these are maybe more problematic than others. So these numbers get a little bit even more complicated just because they're potentially trying to pick up specific types of disc pathology as well, right? And lastly, I just think it's important that you know that other studies show relatively poor diagnostic values of these tests. So they're just not great tests. They don't have the greatest sensitivities and specificities from study to study. It's just different, right? And this happens a lot with research of special tests. Maybe one study comes out, shows decent sensitivity and specificity. Another study comes out, shows something completely different. This is kind of what's been going on with our neurodynamic tests over the course of time. So they can be part of our battery test, but they're not perfect. We can also try and figure out which disc level is involved within the spine based on where that pain is presenting in our patients. This research is coming from Humphreys et al. in 1999. It's old research, and I think just like all these other tests, take this with a grain of salt. It's one more piece of information to help you rule in which level is involved. However, it's not perfect. So I'll go ahead and read this to you. But if you have an injury at the T12 to L1 level, you can suspect there's going to be pain in the inguinal region and the medial thigh. If the injury is at the L1, L2 level, you can suspect some pain in the anterior and medial aspect of the upper thigh. If the injury is at the L2, L3 level, we can suspect some pain in the anterior lateral thigh. If the injury is in the L3, L4 region, we can suspect some pain in the posterior lateral thigh and anterior tibial area. If the injury is in the L4, L5 segment, we can suspect some pain in the dorsum of the foot. If the injury is the L5-S1 level, we can suspect some pain in the lateral aspect of the foot. Now, largely, most of these injuries occur at the L4-L5 and L5-S1 level. So, commonly, you're going to see more pain in the foot than other areas of the leg. Although, anecdotally, I can't say that that's been what I've seen. Pain's kind of all over the place. So, when would you consider diagnostic imaging like an MRI? Well, largely, these things aren't recommended, at least for the first six weeks or so. And there's two situations when you would potentially look for an MRI. So one is if some of these red flags are present, we're going to refer back immediately. They're going to take some imaging to see what's going on within the spine, right? That's the first one. In a large majority of cases, this isn't going to occur. So usually you just treat your patients for the first six weeks or so. The second reason why you might get some imaging is if you're not making much progress at all in the first, let's say, six weeks or so. Then you may send back the physician and physician might recommend some imaging so they can start to consider something like an injection and then further on down the line if they're not making progress they'll have that information if they want to consider doing surgery a little bit later. So largely we don't want to get imaging right away unless there's a medical red flag then we go ahead and treat for six weeks or so if we're not making any progress whatsoever we can consider sending back the physician get some imaging to see if there is going to be an injury at a specific level, and they might consider either doing an injection or eventually trying surgery. So here's the thing. Let's say you do your clinical diagnosis. You're unsure of what's going on at that point. You send that patient in for some diagnostic imaging, and even at that point, things are still a little bit unclear. And we're not sure which level is involved. You can consider trying EMG or nerve conduction velocity testing this helps us to either rule in radiculopathy or some other peripheral nerve involvement. Now, keep in mind, EMG is still not perfect. The sensitivity is between 0.5 and 0.85. So take that with a grain of salt. It's kind of similar to a lot of the other tests that we have. But if we're not getting the information we need to rule in radiculopathy or which level, we can go a step further and potentially look at EMG or nerve conduction velocity tests. You also might need a nerve conduction velocity test If you hadn't hit that like or subscribe button so far, maybe you're not fast enough. You don't have good nerve communication from your brain down your fingers to help you hit that like button. I don't know. But anyway, hit the button, subscribe. So now that you have some evidence-based information about ridiculous low back pain, you still need to know how to treat these folks. Well, I have a case study for you where I break down a patient with ridiculous low back pain, show the exact treatments that I use and show exactly how he got back to weight training over the course of time. I'm going to leave a link. Up here, you should go ahead and click on that and continue with the learning. Lastly, I just want to say thank you so much for your support. You truly allow me to do what I love for a living. If you're watching this on YouTube, please hit that thumbs up button. If you leave a comment, it helps the algorithm. I'd also love to know your thoughts on this presentation today. Please subscribe to the channel. It helps me out tremendously. If you're listening to the podcast version of this, please consider leaving me a positive review. Again, it helps tremendously. If you want to see more content like this in the future, we got to make sure we grow this over the course of time, right? And lastly, if you want to support me even further, consider subscribing to Fitness Pain Free Insiders. This is going to be my premium subscription membership to Fitness Pain Free, all my best content updated monthly uh, lives. So head to fitnesspainfree.com, click on the programs link, click on Fitness Pain Free Insiders online library, just $1 for a week trial. Also leave a link in the show notes in the description. All right, go ahead and check it out. And lastly, I have all of my references, and it's a god-awful amount of references. I know you can't read any of this, so if you really want to check out the references that I use, I recommend checking out the show notes, link in description, and you can see all the references that I use. And if you like them and you want to comment on them, leave a comment.